Well, today we are considering, uh, concluding a sermon series looking at the attributes of God. We've considered uh, God's knowledge, his power, who he is as a father, his presence, that he's in control of all things. And today as we conclude, we're going to see that our great God who is all-powerful, who is sovereign, who is in control of all things, who's omnipresent and omniscient, those are words that we've used throughout this series, meaning that he is everywhere and that he knows all things. That God, that same God, is the God who never changes. That all of these attributes, all of these aspects of his character, they never change. And the question is, why is that important for us to believe? Why is it so important that we believe in a God that never changes? It's staggering to think just how quickly things change in our world. Uh, you try and keep up. The more you try, the more things seem to just kind of pass you by and you miss them altogether. You know that uh, for like the last four or five years, uh, skinny jeans have been like the popular thing, right, for kids and young adults. Well, I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal this week that says skinny jeans are out. No more, right? Exactly. People are clapping at, once again, kids, young adults opting for the more comfier versions. Uh, is it tr is it, trust me, it was, in the, it was in the paper, it's real. Um, <laughs> things change, right? Things come and they go. If you're a parent, things are coming at you a thousand miles an hour, right? And we're tempted to say, I don't like how much change there is. It's not like it used to be. There was never this much change when I was younger, which is, of course, not true at all. Right? And as much as we don't like it, all of us buy into it in some way. All of us do. After a while, we may be tired of the way our hair looks. Right? We may be tired of our house. We may be tired of our jobs, our careers. We get tired of the same restaurants. We want something new. We're tired of the TV that we have. We want the bigger one that does more stuff. Right? Sometimes we even say to ourselves, you know, I just need a change. I just need to shake things up a bit. Right? We vote one politician into office, then we vote another one in for change's sake. Right? It's kind of who we are as people. I'm a big baseball fan, and one of the things that you hear consistently today, this great old baseball image, is that baseball has to change. If it doesn't change, if it doesn't speed up, if it doesn't get faster, it's going to die. You know, young people just don't like baseball anymore because it's too slow. We watch everything in kind of 90-second clips on Facebook and Twitter, right? So who's going to, what young person's going to go down to Marlins Park on a Tuesday night and sit for three and a half hours and watch a slow game, right? And I always want to say when I hear that, the reasons that you think baseball needs to change is exactly why baseball should never change, right? Because it gives us the room. It gives us the space to actually slow down, right? To enjoy a conversation, right? We don't need to shorten games or put pitch clocks or come up with any gimmicks to make the game faster or more attractive. It will just take care of itself, trust me. So we need more things like baseball in our world today. A world that's kind of constantly changing, right? And when we're faced with constant change, we are tempted to go either one way. Either we 
become obsessed with change, and so we do whatever we can to try to keep up with things. We spend our money keeping up with things. We don't want to miss anything in the media because we're fearful that it's going to pass us by and we're not going to know about it. Parents, this is a battle we face, right? Trying to keep up with everyone and everything. Or we go the other way and we just tap out. And we say, you know what? World's changing too fast. I don't want anything to do with it, right? Keep me out of it, right? I'll just let it pass me by. I'll catch the next thing or maybe I won't catch any of it. But when we do that, especially as Christians, we remove ourselves from the world in a way that doesn't, actually further God's kingdom. And we miss out on some potential relationships, some new relationships that God may be bringing into our lives, some new things that God may use to further his kingdom in the world. I want to read you something that uh, an author named Jen Wilkin wrote, and I think it, it speaks directly to the tension that we face when it comes to change today. She writes, My grandparents' house in Pittsburgh was a place where I always felt like time stood still. In that comforting dwelling, not a single knick-knack ever stirred from its location. Every visit promised sameness, meals on the same dishes at the same table. After dinner, the same board games, the same evening spent on the patio watching the fireflies, the same pink bathtub for soaking, and the same antique sleigh bed for dreaming. Heaven. On my last visit to Pittsburgh, I drove to their wooded cul-de-sac and parked at the curb. My grandparents had been gone for some time, but I wanted to see the house and remember. There was nothing to see but forest. A neighbor wanting a larger lot had purchased the house and had it torn down. It bothered me how much the change bothered me. How could someone bulldoze heaven for heaven's sake? The sadness or frustration we feel about changes to something we thought was unchanging often reveals our tendency to ascribe what's true only of God to people, possessions, or circumstances that aren't him. To expect earthly places to be heavenly. I tell myself that my love of routine and my aversion to change are a longing for the God who does not change, but if I'm honest, they're just plain idolatry. In truth, I'm telling temporary, changing things, I need you to be God. Please just stay the same. See, I believe that deep down, we're all wrestling with that. That we're all longing for permanence, for steadiness, for things that run deep and never change, for traditions and practices that root us down into something deep and meaningful. We're longing for a God that never changes. And so today as followers of Jesus, in the midst of a world that's constantly changing, I want to say this today, that we need to believe two things wholeheartedly. And the first is this, that God himself never changes. That God himself never changes. And then secondly, that God's word and purposes never change. That his word and purposes never change. And from there, uh, we find our way tethered to something that is strong and true, okay? 
If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 102 or it'll be up on the screens and we're gonna look at how God himself does not change and we're gonna start in verse 25 and the psalmist writes this. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. You see, to believe that God never changes means that we must also believe that God is eternal, that God has always existed, that there's never been a before God moment. And because God is eternal, that means his goodness is eternal. His wisdom, his power, all the attributes of his power, all of those things have existed eternally, always. And if they've existed like that eternally, then it must mean that God is unchangeable, that he never changes because his character never changes. It never will change. Sometimes small kids have a way of asking questions about God to their parents that can really throw us. Has this ever happened to you? Usually right before bed, kind of the stall-tastic, they bring out the real theological whoppers, right? And let me encourage you, this is a great thing. We, we should want our kids to ask these types of questions. But that may also mean that as parents, we need we may need some help in finding the answers to those questions. And thankfully, the church throughout the centuries has thought about this and come up for, uh, with ways to help us prepare for those things. And we usually call these types of helps catechisms, right? And our tradition uses a number of different catechisms that summarize what it is that we believe as Christians about the Bible and about theology, and they have kids' versions of these catechisms too, and if you're interested in any of those, you can ask me about it at any, uh, at any time, and I can point you to them. But the primary catechism that we use in our church is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And question number four is this. What is God? Now, there may not be a more simple and direct question. You can just hear little Johnny at like 8.30 at night, right before bed, asking, Daddy, what is God? Let me show you what the answer is according to the catechism. And actually, in fact, I think it'd be nice if we could, could we all say this out loud together? Let's try that, okay? What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Wow, right? That's saying a lot. And right smack in the middle of it is that God is unchangeable. This is what we believe. Let me tell you why this is such good news. Because as we've already said, we as humans are always changing. Changing, right, to a fault. And that's been the case from the very beginning, this constant change, this trying to go out on our own way, defining right and wrong for ourselves, all of that has led us to wander away from God. And that wandering away from God brings 
sin into our lives and it's brought sin into the world. And if you read through the Old Testament, that's really the story of God's people, Israel. The time and time again, God brought them close, rescued them, and then time and time again, they wandered off. And it brought all kinds of chaos into the world and into their lives. And at the very end of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, in chapter three, God says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Basically, what God is saying is, you should be thankful that I do not change, because if I did change, if I changed with my love and commitment towards you because your love and commitment towards me has changed, then you would not be here any longer. This relationship would not exist any longer. But because I do not change, my goodness and love towards you does not change. See, the bad news of the gospel tells us that our sin, this wandering off from God, has separated us from him. And because he is a holy God, and that he has always been holy and will always be holy, that sin has to be punished. But because God himself does not change, his love for us does not change. And that's where the good news of the gospel begins to find us. And so first we have to consider that God himself doesn't change. We saw that in Psalm 102. But let's look at what it means to believe that God's word and purposes never change. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 17. The writer says this, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. See, God had this habit of making promises with his people, these covenant relationships where there were commitments made to one another. He made promises, oaths to them. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, this is key, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. You know why we can bank and trust that God's word and purposes are true and they never change? Because God has banked on himself. He's sworn on himself. He's made an oath on his own character, his character that does not change. And we can also bank on it, we can believe it wholeheartedly because he has sent us Jesus. This author tells us in this passage that it's Jesus that has done the work to accomplish God's purposes in the world. That he became like a human to take on life like we have, to know what that is, to live perfectly under God's law, to fulfill it and then become the perfect sacrifice for our sin. On the cross, Jesus does something absolutely necessary if we're ever to experience harmony with God again. And throughout the history of Israel, God's presence, if if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that God's presence 
dwelled with his people in specific ways. Early on, there was this place called the tabernacle, and that's where God's presence would reside with his people, and they would go and worship him. And inside the tabernacle, there was a separate place called the Holy of Holies, where God's real presence was. And that presence was so holy that they put this huge, thick curtain and veil to guard it. And on only one day a year, one priest would go in to that place. That's it. But here, the author of Hebrews says in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, has taken down the barrier between us and God. He's torn the curtain in two. On the cross, when he's punished in our place, he's opening a way for us to know and access and be with the presence of God always, always. God did that through Jesus so that his purposes for the world and for your life and my life can continue, that they would never change, that they would be fulfilled. Because you see, if God waited for us to change just enough for us to be saved, then we would have never saved ourselves. It took God himself to fulfill his purposes. And so if this is true, if God's word and purpose never change, if he himself never changes, then, and we can trust Jesus because of that, because of what he's done, then what are the benefits of believing this? Why is it important that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, believe that God never changes? What are the benefits? And the first, I believe, is this, that we may be greatly encouraged I think this point of theology that God never changes of what we believe is actually a source of deep, deep encouragement. All of us are fighting to live more consistent lives. We are. As, as you know, what they say about parenting, the most important thing you can do in parenting is what? It's be consistent. Right? And the thing that I probably struggle with the most in parenting is, is what? Being consistent, right? sticking to the plans, not wavering with every change in emotion. And whether kids realize it or not, they are actually longing for this, right? They want the consistency. They want to know what to expect from their parents. And I think that's true not just of kids, but all of us. And whether we want to admit it personally, we're all longing to know that there's something in this world that is solid, that we can stand on and know that it is real and sure, not going to move underneath us. We realize that we are an inconsistent mess. I know that I am. But what we believe is that God is not. That God is not that we're called back to believe that he is the one that doesn't change, that doesn't move. And that should encourage us personally. But I think we can also be encouraged corporately today as a community of faith, as a church. 
right? That whenever we gather for worship here on a Sunday morning or we get together for a Bible study midweek or we're on a missions trip or we're serving in the community, all of these things, especially right here, right now when we gather to worship, all of them are meant to call us back to believe in the one who does not change. Because as we get out into the world, everything is changing and we're changing. And so we come together to this place to be with one another, to remind each other and to hear from God's word that his purposes are true, that they're being fulfilled in the world and in your life and that he does not change. That's what we celebrate when we come to this meal, this table, like we're going to in just a few moments. We come to this place off of crazy weeks. You know, every plan has been ripped up and thrown apart. We're struggling with that inconsistent life and yet God calls us here to worship him and to remember that through all of that, he does not change. And so we should be encouraged by that. But secondly, the other benefit, and this is so key, is to believe wholeheartedly that our souls are anchored. That's the key word, anchored, firm and secure in Jesus Christ. There may not be a more foundationally important thing for us to believe as followers of Jesus than this. That as our lives change, as we go up and down, as the world goes up and down, where does your security come from? Where is it found? Seriously. If it's in anything other than Jesus Christ, here's what will inevitably happen the change will overwhelm us. We will be overwhelmed by the changes around us. If your anchor is placed in your family or your kids, then their success or their health, there's a crisis of some kind, when those things change, the ground underneath us shifts and our security is lost. If your anchor is in your financial position in life and preparing for retirement and getting everything just situated right so that you can have the life and the retirement that you're looking forward to, when the bottom falls out and something changes, we're undone. Our security is lost. The anchor gives way. But for the Christian, the anchor of our lives is not not meant to be anything other than Jesus Christ. He is the anchor. He is the one that's gone behind the curtain into God's presence, into heaven, and secured our place. The anchor, our anchor is in heaven and now Jesus sits at the right hand of God and we are tethered to him. We are anchored to him there. Later in the book of Hebrews, the writer kind of summarizes all of this with this beautiful sentence where he says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I want you to think about that as you think back on history. For those who believed in the second century, Jesus was the same then as he is today. For those who believed in the 7th and 8th century, in the Middle Ages, Jesus Christ is the same then as he is today. 
in the 15th and 16th century as we think this coming week, weekend and the next few days about 18th century America, Jesus Christ is the same today as he was then. And here on July 2nd, 2017 in Boynton Beach, he is the same for you as he was always. He does not change. And not only does he not change, but we believe in a God who is always giving good gifts to his children. This great verse to close with this morning from the book of James, and it leads us, I think, well to the communion table. The writer says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's important that we believe this because if we don't believe it, then everything about God is kind of thrown up into the air. To believe that he is the one who does not change means his love for you does not change and that the good gifts that he gives to you do not change, that we can always expect them and we have before us perhaps the greatest gift that he's ever given to us. So would you pray with me as we begin to turn our attention this morning to receiving that good gift from him at his table. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that as we recount, Lord, the ways that you have interacted with your people throughout the centuries as we see in the scriptures, Lord, we're always changing, but you are not. And when life, this world that we live in, seems to be out of control with change and going up and down, God, would you help us to believe more today than we ever have that you never change and that your purposes for the world and for us individually do not change. And as we turn to your table now, may you make that even more clear to us. May we taste it and see it and know that it is true. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.